This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. Hello, my name is Jason Swedlow. I'm from the University of Dundee. I founded and run the Open Microscopy Environment uh, Project, or OME. I'm here today to tell you about uh, using metadata in bioimaging, how to access that metadata, and also hopefully why it's important. So in this image, um, we have lots of what apparently are cells. And um, you know, it may be that you can look at this image and get, start to understand, guess you know, what, what is in fact in this image. But to really be able to understand what's going on in this image, there's a large amount of metadata that we need to have access to uh, that describes actually how the image was recorded, what the different uh, fluorescence channels means, the various uh, uh, dimensions and scales of the image, how the image is displayed, and it's very important, any associated measurements, and in fact, if we're making this image publicly available, how to, what is the resource and how to find that image. So while there's a, you know, this image has a certain amount of aesthetic value and might impress you with uh, some kind of um, view of what's going on in a biological system, it's this metadata that provides the essential background that really that allows this image to be so powerful and to be used for a scientific purpose. So in the next few slides, what we're going to do is to look at different representations of that metadata to try to get some understanding of, of really what this image is trying to tell us. So this, this is a screenshot of software that's displaying this uh, image. And you can see several different representations of the metadata over here. So first of all, you'll recall from Nico Sturman's talk a, uh, the power of an image histogram. So this is a histogram that's displaying the range of intensities in one of the channels, in this case, the cyan channels. Note that there's actually four channels in this image. We only have two of them activated, so we only have the cyan and magenta, but there's two other channels in this image, and that's obviously very important to know because, in fact, that tells us that there's more data in this image that we can see. Note that there's different display parameters here, and Nico told you about lookup tables and how the data that's um, stored on uh, disk is, tr is transferred into uh, a repre uh, representation for display. So these are the, the how th these sliders uh, tell us how that data is being transformed to this display. Note that that's very important because in some of the cases, for example, the cyan channel here, as well as you know, well over here, there are examples where the display parameters I've chosen are saturating the the DAPI channel. That's a deliberate decision so that, in fact, some of these dimmer areas are easily visible. But it's very important to be able to see that and be able to um, understand um, how the display, um, how, how the raw data is being transformed for display. Several other metadata concepts over on the far side, you can see that there's a, um, there's a uh, a slider there. This is actually a, a, a Z slider. And so this is, in fact, this single um, two-dimensional plane that you see here is actually part of a three-dimensional data stack. So this is actually a 3D data cube that just shows us some volume in this biological system. Um, there are display characteristics here. So um, I've chosen one set of display characteristics. My colleague Michael has a different set of display characteristics. So we each are looking at different things in this, in this image. And finally, on the bottom corner there, there's the um, all-important um, uh, scale bar that um, uh, gives us some sense of the physical dimensions of this image. Okay, so all of this, these are graphical representations of the um, 
of, of a lot of metadata associated with this image. Now we're going to look at some more numerical values. And again, these are screenshots from software that are showing us uh, different values. So note over here we have an indication of the size of the image. This is a 512 by 512 pixels um, uh, in the image. This, each of the pixels is a 16-bit um, uh, measurement, which is very important. Um, uh, Nico again told you about that. The pixel sizes here are mapped into the sample space are 0.42 by 0.42 microns in the image plane and then one micron between each of the optical sections. Note again, there's several Z sections. Uh, there's only one time point this image, so this is not a, a time-lapse image. And we have several different flore fluorescence channels and the markers that were used to pick up each of those fluorescence channels um, um, are displayed. Over on this side, we have um, uh, indication of the objective lens that was used um, to record this data. So we have the magnification, we have the numerical aperture. That's very important for us to be able to understand the, 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 the maximum, the maximal uh, resolution that we can achieve uh, with this image. Um, it's an immersion um, lens, so we have some sense of the, um, uh, of the uh, immersion medium that's used, in this case an oil lens. Note that there's a mistake here. Uh, the metadata is saying that the, um, that the medium that the biological system is in is actually oil. That's probably unlikely, given the fact that it's a biological system, so it's probably aqueous. Um, there's a refractive index of the, of the, of the, of the immersion medium that's used. Um, for each of the channels, we have metadata around, um, for example, the excitation, the emission wavelengths that um, were used to, to image the, the, the uh, to, to, to collect the data. This is a laser scanning confocal microscope that's used. It has a, a photomultiplier tube or a PMT, and that has various settings that are um, uh, that are uh, uh, recorded and important to understand what's going on in the image. Now, each of the representations I've been showing you are actually screenshots from software that's reading and then and then displaying metadata. In the next slide, I'm going to show you the raw metadata itself. And so these are values that are taken out of the incoming file, the incoming data file um, from the microscope. And you'll see that there's a long list of them here. In fact, the, the full list is much, much larger. It goes way, th uh, way through the top of the screen and way, way, way through the bottom of the screen. These are just a few of the values that are important. I'm going to focus actually on three of them and look at these three values here. Remember on the previous slide, I, I said that the pixel sizes were 0.42 microns, by 4, 0.42 microns by 1 micron. And you'll notice that in the raw data, the way this is written out, and you can read this whole line, there's experiment, acquisition block, acquisition mode setup, scaling x, number 1 equals and then some number here. And if you do the mental math, you realize that this number is, is recorded in meters. So this is... Uh, in scientific not notation, 4.15 times 10 to the negative seventh meters, or rounded up, 0.42 microns. We have that for x and y and z. Now, obviously, what's happening then is, is that the incoming metadata from the, from the data file is being um, converted or transmitted via the software into a representation that we see on the screen. And so that's very important because there's lots of different metadata here. We, we saw the pixel sizes in the, in the, soft, in the, in the, screenshot, in the screenshots I sh showed you. There's other metadata that's equally important. Look down here. These are the different lasers that are used uh, to, for the imaging on the confocal microscope. So, um, you know, metadata incredibly important um, to be able to understand what that image was. Okay. 
Now, so there's lots of different types of metadata. We've been focusing on imaging metadata, but in fact, to really understand what that um, uh, image uh, actually was and what it's showing us and what we can do with the scientific result, we there's many different types of metadata we have to handle. So we have to handle the experimental metadata. This is the protocols, uh, the probes that were used, uh, the various, um, uh, any treatments, any uh, genes that were targeted, and so on. And this metadata often sits you know, in various places in the lab, maybe in your lab notebook, um, spreadsheets that you've recorded on your laptop computer. Some labs will have laboratory information systems, um, so-called LIMS systems, that are recording all this metadata. So all of this is incredibly important to be able to understand what, what actually was done to the sample um, uh, as it was brought to the microscope. As we've seen, there's lots of different parameters associated with the imaging itself. Um, we've, we've kind of gone through that, the various settings on the microscope, parameters, et cetera. Uh, those, those are usually written down into the, data, into the output data file, but they are usually in proprietary file format. So if you're using a microscope that's supplied by a commercial vendor, the file formats um, are, are usually um, uh, in some sort of proprietary file format. And finally, there's the analytics that we um, uh, will um, perform, the outputs of, for example, finding the cells and measuring fluorescence intensities and so on. Now, these values are often written into spreadsheets. Um, you'll, you'll, you may have heard of terms like CSV or TSV. CSV stands for comma-separated value. So the individual values in the tables are separated by commas. That's just how they're kind of, they're, they're delimited, so um, it's easy to, to read. Alternatively, uh, uh, TSV tab-separated values. And so these are just ways of writing tabular data down. And you know, these, these tables might be quite large. There might be 20 or 100 different uh, pr uh, parameters that we're measuring uh, represented in columns. And, the, uh, uh, and all of the individual measurements, maybe individual cells, are, are represented as rows. So there could be hundreds, sometimes thousands of rows. Uh, or more in, uh, in these tables. So all of these different types of metadata uh, combined start to represent the full experiment that we do in our imaging um, experiment. And you'll probably know that, and you can sort of see here, they're not all in one place. They're in many different places, yet it's absolutely important that we keep track all, of all this if we're going to uh, be able to achieve the scientific result we want with the, um, with the imaging experiment we're doing. So how to do that? So I'm going to show you some examples from the project I lead called OME. Uh, that's just one example of many, um, and, but it serves to illustrate how to handle the metadata um, in these experiments. So we have, to, we have to think about the file formats that we're using. We have to think about ways of, of reading those proprietary file formats. And then we have, need some sort of tool to put everything together to, to manage all of that metadata. So um, OME TIFF is, a, is an open file format for writing down metadata and binary data. Um, it uses open specifications. So TIFF is an open specification. And many of you probably know that um, you know, most imaging software will open a TIFF file. That's because the TIFF specification is open and available, and anyone can use it. Uh, the OME, so that's a way to write down the pixel data or the binary data. The OME mo model is, uh, presents a way to write down the uh, imaging metadata. Um, and so we can cast that in so-called XML and put that in the header of the TIFF file. 
It's very flexible. It can, it can handle lots of different um, uh, imaging modalities and lots of different imaging experiments. Uh, we, can, uh, we can make public specifications. We can make examples, uh, reference implementations, et cetera. And we've been running this uh, project now for over a decade. So in fact, we're dedicated every time there's a new release of, of, um, uh, of OME-TIFF, we make sure that we um, support all of the previous uh, versions. Um, uh, and make it possible to transfer the different versions and convert between them. So that's a way to write down the data in a file format. With respect to um, proprietary file formats, Bioformats is a, is, a, um, uh, is a software library that's a plug-in to lots of different software that can read the binary data as well as the binary metadata and make all of that available to um, other software. So we reverse engineer and create a, a reader for every one of those proprietary file formats and then, uh, it, then, soft, then other software can use those readers to access um, each of those different proprietary file formats. There's over 150 different file formats supported, and in fact, many different variants of each of the formats. So in fact, the number of file formats is much larger than that. Lots of open source software tools um, use bioformats. There are commercial tools that use bioformats as well. Um, bioformats is obviously open source and available for anyone to use. So um, that, this is a way to make uh, the proprietary binary data and the proprietary uh, met, uh, metadata accessible. And then the question is, how do you combine all that? And that's um, what, what we use Amero for. So uh, we have the incoming images. We have bioformats to, um, uh, to read those images. And Amero effectively is the data management system that puts all of that metadata together, makes it possible to access those um, uh, data sets. Um, for example, through a remote client, uh, for example, a web client, or a cluster processing system. And so the, then you have effectively the full solution to have a, a, a full uh, data management system. That brings up the question of why you would want to manage data in the first place. So um, you know, what do you get and what is the scientific value for managing data? So first of all, there's a question of you know, just keeping things organized. And you know, different, you know, different people have different views on organizing stuff. Um, you, know, you, might think, you might want to be able to find an experiment you did a year ago in the lab, or a colleague um, in the lab might want to find an experiment that you did, or maybe your, um, uh, your PI or your group leader wants to find something you did a couple of years ago. So there's sort of an argument for making this data organized in some sort of way, for annotating it, for example, with the date, or the probes you used, or um, uh, some sort of a way of expressing what you've done that other people can find. Now, as an example of that, um, here's a screenshot from Amero, and here we have data that where we, you know, we have the data organized in terms of the different cell cycle stages that we were looking at. Obviously, we have the images. We have ways that you, you, know, you, know, that you can um, uh, view, um, the, uh, uh, view the data in a web browser, change the display settings, et cetera. You can obviously also see all of the, uh, all of the acquisition metadata, um, analytic metadata, and so on. So that, that's putting data under management. That can be nice. It's not, frankly, all of that compelling. Um, keeping things organized and clean might not be the strongest prior, uh, priority for everyone. Probably a stronger argument is that there's, um, if you have data under management, it becomes much easier to um, run the data through um, uh, large um, processing um, workflows or batch processing, thus saving yourself some time. So rather than processing a single image at once, you can process a large number of images at once and on these kinds of, man of these data management systems. An example of that, again with Amero, is that we can take many different um, third-party tools 
um, some of them open source, some of them commercial, bolt them onto a marrow and then make them um, basically run them against large collections of images and, and, and thus effectively automate the image processing tools. We can also make that data available for, through a web browser, um, applica applications like ImageJ and so on. So that might be another reason to make these, um, these data sets, um, uh, to put these data sets under management and to you know, go through the effort of keeping track of your data that it becomes a lot, more, a lot easier to automate these systems. An example of that, so this is, these are, this is an experiment that we've been doing at Dundee using the cell painting protocol that was developed by Ann Carpenter's group at the Broad Institute. These are um, human IPS cells where we're going through a cell painting protocol. Then we run, basically put all of them in a marrow, run um, cell profiler through them, and cell profiler is an application that can um, identify the boundaries of the nuclei, the cytoplasm of each of the cells, calculate a whole list of features for every one of those cells, every one of those images, all of that all of the imaging data and all of the analytic um, outputs are all in one system, which we could then use for further um, uh, processing and calculations. So by keeping things together, by ke keeping them well managed, we can run this in an automated fashion and also it makes it easier to do downstream um, calculations. So the third reason to think about publishing data is actually to share data and to make data available in various ways. And so an example of that is um, an application in Amero that we call Amero Figure, and this is for building figures from your, um, uh, from your uh, data sets. And so many of you will make figures for your papers, and you usually take screenshots and put them into some sort of graphical tool. And that's fine, but then the data that you're actually sending for publication is completely detached from the original data. In this case, we have a web application called Amero Figure, where every one of these viewers is a portal into an Amero database. And we can actually then make it so that the figure that we're generating and ultimately submitting is always, um, uh, is always tied to the original data. So, so that the idea of sharing and presenting data, um, uh, you know, if you do that, you're, you're maintaining the connection to the original data. Another example is, um, here's a paper that we published um, in, uh, from my lab in the last couple of years. And you know, there's a paper, the DOI is down there at the bottom. If you scroll down to the HTML representation of that paper online, you'll come to a data availability section that has a DOI. And that DOI resolves to this um, page. And this is the data I was showing you before. Here are all of the data sets associated with the different figures in that paper. We have all the imaging data. We have all the representations, uh, the, the thresholding and the display parameters that we used. We have the metadata that was associated with the acquisition, um, the analytics, and so on. We also have all the figures associated with it from, coming from a Mara figure all available. And so that, make, that makes it possible effectively to, to publish these data sets online, make them available for others to, to examine, uh, to check whether what we were doing was reasonable, as well as to reuse. And that brings up this issue of um, uh, this idea of making data fair. So uh, the acronym is F-A-I-R. And the, uh, the words behind the acronym are findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And so the idea, and this, this, is, um, this, idea, this um, concept was published by Wilkinson and colleagues a couple years ago, um, is that, these, that data sets associated with scientific um, publications, the underlying data sets should be publicly available. And, what, and they actually define what these different words mean, that, the, that they should be findable, and so they're, they're, they're ways of effectively using DOIs or other um, identifiers, being able to find the data. 
Um, the metadata associated with those data sets is um, accessible through a UI, so in the, some of the ways that we've been seeing before, but also programmatically. So there's an application program. Um, programming interface or API, what that means is that if, if someone wants to write um, some sort of analysis tool against this data set, it's possible. The data, the data sets are, um, um, are annotated with uh, known and defined vocabularies. And most importantly, the reuse of that data is actually known and defined. So it's in the data sitting under a license. In the example I showed you before, we're using the Creative Commons uh, CC um, BY license. What that means is, is that anybody can take the data, use it for whatever they want. If they publish a result, they just have to cite us. And that's, that's kind of a common concept in science. So um, you know, it, it, using the tools and working through the metadata and going through the management process, et cetera, it becomes quite possible, in fact, even uh, routine to be able to make um, these image data sets that we're collecting in our lab um, truly fair. And so that's um, an important reason to, um, uh, to, to, to run these management systems. And then you can sort of take that idea to the next level. And so we've been doing that using bioformats in Amaro. Uh, to build an application called the Image Data um, uh, Resource, or IDR. And so this is publishing imaging data from many different studies um, uh, online and collecting them uh, into a single system with all, all of the experimental metadata, the annotations, the analytic results, all of the different metadata that we talked about before, and making all of that data uh, browsable in, for example, a web browser, but also download downloadable and available for uh, reanalysis in some sort of cloud environment. And so the URL is there if you want to see more, but you know, that, that's a, kind of the next level of the idea of making uh, of the value of, of um, considering and working with all of this metadata to make it possible to, um, to gen generate an awful lot of value from these uh, published data sets. So just to sum up, hope I've convinced you, you know, how, you know, shown you examples of how you can access this metadata that's coming in on the, on the, data, on, on the imaging data sets that you're collecting. There are various open tools um, uh, and formats for um, accessing that data. Um, and there's also you know, ways that you can organize and use that metadata, hopefully, um, uh, um, in your lab uh, for your benefit. But probably most importantly, why should you worry about this metadata? Um, and, and why should you actually think about managing this metadata? So it makes it possible now to routinely make imaging data fair. And that's, that's very important, I think, also just, you know, for science. But also our funding agencies and our journals certainly want to see that. So that's a very important issue. And then it allows, it, it makes it possible to um, uh, publish these imaging data sets routinely for reuse um, by uh, the scientific community. So I hope that's useful. I really um, appreciate the time and thank you very much for listening. Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's top scientists. This talk was brought to you with support from the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, the European Molecular Biology Laboratory, and the European Molecular Biology Organization.